Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the show. The Joyful Courage Podcast is a place for inspiration and education on the parenting journey. I'm your host, Casey O'Rourke, and I work really hard to keep it real and authentic as I share expert interviews with people I trust and admire and solo shows about my own experiences raising my two kids. As a positive discipline trainer and parent coach, I love talking parenting and digging in to what it takes to feel as though we are being effective and helpful while also acknowledging that it is a messy, messy ride. We all make mistakes. This is not a how to be the perfect parent show. My context is how to work towards being as intentional and conscious as we can while navigating the very real challenges that come with the job of parenting. This summer, I'm revisiting some of my very favorite shows that I think are particularly useful for those of us in the tween teen era, because wow, it sure is crazy to be on this side of things, isn't it? I think everyone will get so much out of these shows. And if your kiddos aren't in the teen years yet, know that I have nearly 200 shows to peruse and you will get useful nuggets from each and every one even if it's a repeat listen. Today, I'm bringing back my conversation with Liz Blackwell-Moore from episode 128. Liz and I go deep into the conversation of substance use and abuse and how to be in relationship with our kids while also navigating the very real decisions they may or may not decide to make. I know this is a tough, tough topic. We all want our kids to be safe and healthy, and we all feel the fear around the very real risks some of them take. This conversation is powerful and left me feeling more grounded about this super intense part of the parenting teens journey. Check it out. All right. My guest today is Liz Blackwell-Moore. I connected with Liz through my friend and one of your favorite podcast guests, Julieta Skoog from besproutable.com. I am so excited to have Liz on today to talk about an incredibly relevant topic, kids and drugs. Hooray! (laughs) 
I know no one really wants to talk about this, but we're going to. And and my hope is, as always, is that it's entertaining and informative and leaves you with some tools to take away. Liz has been working in the field of substance use since 2000. Her current work involves working with community coalitions and organizations to provide training on prevention strategies, as well as technical assistance to translate public health research into practice and implement a restorative trauma-informed approach to addressing public health problems. I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing, Liz. And basically, she is going to break it all down for us in a way, again, that is helpful. And FYI, Liz lives in Portland, Maine with her wife and two happy kids and a puppy. God bless you. Hi, Liz. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Please share a little bit about your journey of doing what you do. Well, um, I started after college, I um, started as a case manager and I worked with folks who had all had um, HIV and they also had substance use and mental health disorders. And they usually came to our program because they were homeless. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that time of doing that work, um, I really, I loved doing work with individuals, but I found that I kept looking back. Like, how did they get here? How it was clear there had been, there were so many similarities between many of them in which systems, families, um, had really had, had failed them in many ways, you know, where they had had bumps and obstacles over the way, over their life. And there weren't really supports and people there to help them through that. And then those things only sort of were made worse. And so I found that I kept thinking about how could we have prevented this from happening? Um, so I went back to public health school to really think more and, and do more research on how do we prevent specifically substance use. Um, so then for the last 12, 13 years, I've been doing prevention work, mostly in, around, in and around Portland, Maine. Some, a little bit of stuff I've been doing um, statewide, but it's really been thinking about systems, which families fit into, you know, that idea yep. of systems. Um, and how can we make those systems better for for young people so that they can move through their young years and enter adulthood as like healthy and more stable people yeah, with supports in their lives. Awesome. And so you went from this whole, um, my, my hands up in the air, like looking at the bigger picture and now you, and on top of it, you give presentations to parents. So what kind of has guided you in, and I think I know the answer to this, but tell us a little bit about then taking that big system view and bringing it right in front of parents. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of the work has always been, so there, I've worked with schools. I work with, um, you know, people who work with kids, like in child development programs or after school programmings. Mm -hmm. I work with the police. I work with city officials and healthcare. So the work has always been about everyone, like that we all have this role in keeping kids from using. And then of course, parents play such a crucial role. And so Throughout that time, a lot of it has been, how do we really build the knowledge and skills of parents? Because it's hard to do parenting. It's not easy. Oh, and I think, yeah, the, yeah and the more <laughs> that we sort of, a lot of our work is about, so then how do we do really build skills? Because I can do presentations, which of course I like doing because I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But I found that really doing small group discussion work where we 
I present some of the research and then we say, what do we know about parenting? And then we work through what does it actually mean and how do we implement it into our own lives as parents? So it really becomes like a discussion amongst parents. And I can't tell you how much I've learned from doing those discussions with hundreds, you know, probably upwards of 600 parents. Mm -hmm. I have learned more than I could ever have imagined. And it's been so helpful for me in my own parenting um, as I have a eight and a 12 year old. So Mm -hmm. I'm certainly heading towards, you know, the adolescent phase myself. Yeah. Well, and anybody who's been listening to me, especially this last fall. So my daughter, we have moved into, and as I was looking at your material, Liz, I saw the phrase risk-taking years. So so we are head (laughs) first into the risk-taking years over Mm. here. My daughter is halfway through her first year of high school. Yeah. And and it's interesting. I'll say it's interesting. That's the word I'm going to choose. It's interesting (laughs) how off guard it's taken. Like I just, I Mm. I thought, you know, I thought I knew what it would feel like. And listeners, excuse me, I'm going to say this again. It's like being pregnant and you read about childbirth and then you're like, oh yeah, okay. And then you're in labor and it's like, what? Whoa, yeah, is going on, right? (laughs) That's kind of how this last fall has been for me. It's like, okay, I, you know, I mean, I'm a parent educator, I've got this down, right? Right, right. And then it's like, oh, actually, I had no idea it was going to feel the way it feels, and Mm. that my control buttons were actually so primed and ready to be pushed. And this whole like her out in the world actually the one making the choices has been really tough for me personally to embrace. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I, my mom used to describe this to me. She described to me later after, of course I was an adolescent myself, but she said the teenage years, it's kind of like you're in one boat and your teenagers in the other boat and you have ropes between you (laughs) and you're trying to let out you know, knots and they're trying to grab them. And sometimes you're trying to pull the knots back in and pull them closer (laughs) and they're trying to let go. You know, it's kind of like a game of back and forth as you try to, as, because they might have times where they really need you and Mm -hmm. want you and Mm -hmm. they're not really sure why or what that feels like. It's a time of super huge change for them and you, and it can be incredibly awesome and really cool to watch them through the change. And it can be really such a struggle as they maybe try to let out the rope way too fast. Yeah. Or just, or basically just, Hey, listen, I'm going to toss this rope out. It's like, no, hold on to the rope. rope. Exactly. (laughs) Like you're going to need that. We're not quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and so much of that has to do with their brain development and like what's happening during adolescence. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. What happens? Yeah, so I think, yeah, so some of the things I think are really interesting about, so the brain is built like a house. It's really built over time and it's built, you know, with, from the bottom up. And so there's really this, and it's built with like a lots of input and people doing it. It doesn't get just built by itself, right? The brain isn't like the heart or the lungs that comes mm-hmm. out fairly developed. It's really through interactions and the environment in which they develop. And in the in the adolescent years, like in those teen years and in the, into the twenties, the first, the part of the brain that's kind of fully rearing to go at 13, 12, 13 is that reward center. The one that's most responds to risky and exciting experiences. So like you're experiencing, (laughs) it's, it's fully developed and ready to go. 
So what does that mean? Like, can you just kind of tease that apart a little bit? So there's this reward center in the brain, which means the messaging of that is loud. Yeah. So it's, so the volume gets sort of turned up when they become stimulated by things. So like for us, when we experience something that feels good, Mm -hmm. you know, we get this warm, nice feeling across our body. Like we just achieved something or we went skiing and it felt really good. Or Mm -hmm. you went, you know, on a run and it felt good. And you know, your reward dial kind of gets turned up and you feel good. Mm -hmm. Well, for them, their reward dial gets super turned up when they get when they do something exciting and risky, like way more than ours does like it. And so that means that when they do something really exciting, they get like a huge burst of that warm feeling. And so they want to keep doing it. And what's interesting is that while, you know, so that's kind of turned up. And at the same time, you have the front part of the brain, which is the one that controls judgment and reasoning and your ability to control emotions is not fully developed yet. And it's not really integrated with the rest of the brain. And so what happens is you have this sort of turning up of the, you know, let's try new things. And then while their ability to sort of make judgments and actually control their impulses, their like desire is Mm -hmm. more limited. And they also have this thing where they actually, they have reasoned through why they're doing something. But what we know is that their reasoning, they skew it way to the pro side and they think the cons aren't so bad. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So annoying. (laughs) Well, you know what's so crazy is it is, but here's the thing without that, without their desire to want to try new things and go do things and be out there in the world and meet new people. And how would they ever leave home? Yeah. Why would they ever venture out? you know, and like find new, new people. How would you ever get them to leave your house? You wouldn't. It's like such a biological necessary thing. Yeah, totally. And it's so frustrating and hard to deal with, I think at the time, but it also can be really cool to watch them. And what they actually, what they do to us actually, is they start challenging the status quo in ways that can be really cool. Because they're like, wait, why have you always done it this way? I don't know why that doesn't make sense. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they're really right. And sometimes they're just challenging to challenge. But all of those things are going to need as they like move into adulthood. Yeah, we had this. Well, I have so many stories here. One is I, Dan, I've heard Dan Siegel say, if it wasn't for adolescence, we never would have left the cave. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And I appreciate that. And like just last night, so my daughter is going to be 15, holy cow, two weeks from tomorrow. And so she found a concert that she wants to go to. And, you know, nothing makes me feel older and more lame than my daughter's music (laughs) choice because it's like, and listeners, I know you've heard me talk about this, but oh my gosh, it's just really explicit. Lots of the F word, lots of drug reference. Like it's so like back in our days, you know, granted I loved the hair bands, but there was metaphor. She's my cherry pie. Like maybe he is singing about pie, you know, I mean, we could pretend, but no, there is no metaphor in these, in this music. Anyway, she wants to go and I'm like, uh, with her friend and her friend's, you know, uncle who I've never met. Anyway, she says to me, I'm like, Rowan, it's just so hard because this music, it's just, and she said, mom.
This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Didn't you like music that your parents didn't like when you were a teenager? Like she just put it right back on me. She knows. Yeah. You know, sure enough. Yes, that is true. And, you know, anyway, so they're smart. Yeah. Yes. And there's so much about picking battles and figuring out which ones are the ones that you really and which ones do you just advise on and which ones do you make a comment on? Which do you just totally not say anything about? Oh, my gosh. It's so hard. Which ones do you really say like this one? I'm really standing firm on. We can talk about it, but I still, you know, I'm really setting down some bigger expectations and you know, we're going to have more conversations about this thing. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's really hard to figure out where totally. that is. And each kid is so different too. I mean, what motivates them, what their challenges are, are all very different. And that's going to mean something different for each child, really. Yeah. Well, and, and so pot, marijuana is a great example of this because yeah, you and I both live in states where it's now legal, recreational mm-hmm. use, not legal for 14 year olds, right. but it's, I don't know. It's kind of taken away the 
Like it no longer seems to belong in this category of of hard drugs, whether or not it was actually there. I mean, full disclosure, mm-hmm. and I shared this with you, Liz, before the show. Everyone, I smoked a lot of pot in college. <laughs> And in my 20s, I'm just going to be honest here, right? So there's this, and now I'm the mother, and now my daughter is Mm -hmm. being confronted by this, like, try it, don't try it. And so before we go there, like, what does the science say about marijuana and use in the early years? And like, what's the hard, cold facts yeah. And great question, because I think there is so much misinformation. And I think that there has been a lot of um, changing perceptions, right? Among, yeah. And like lots of parents smoked a lot themselves when they're younger. And so they're thinking, oh, this is really not a big deal. It's like, I shouldn't worry about it so much. And I well, think, I'm worried, well, no. but I, and it's not so much, it's not a big deal, but I wasn't 14. Right. And, right. and I wasn't the mom. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so what I, what I say is, so I have been researching marijuana for, you know, a long time now looking at what's the latest research. And I think what we luckily have now is the National Academy of Sciences came out with a, basically they did research on the research. Mm -hmm. So it's like the gold standard for research because it's really about looking through all of it, which one's valid, which one's not, what, what do, you know, what do we know? And, and they've come with up with some pretty things that are pretty conclusive in terms of ways in which it's harmful. And one of those things is really around young people using and that it's, it has lots of harms for young people. And those things are things like they really um, has impacts on their problems with learning and memory. So it has, you know, that sort of stereotype of somebody who smokes too much weed, can't remember anything. Well, there's a reason for that because it really has an impact on the neurons in between the synapses so that it makes it so that people have a hard time connecting neurons. And so they have a hard time with memory, like having Mm -hmm. those memories get connected, having chains of memories and then being able to remember them in the future. And so it has an, especially on young people because their brains are really developing. And so we know it also has a like pretty significant effects on their mental health. So young people who use regularly. What does that mean, regularly? Well, what they usually say is regularly is once every 30 days, like if you've used oh. in the last 30 days. And so that, and again, like the more you use, the more this might be likely to be true for you. Mm-hmm. And we know that young people who use have are two times more likely to experience depression Mm. And three times more likely to have um, suicidal thoughts. Mm. And so some of it is that kids are self-medicating, right? So some is, is there's, it, the research actually goes both ways. So we know the kids who have some mental health issues are more likely to use marijuana as a way to relieve what they feel like is relieving some of that stress. Mm-hmm. And it also is true that those who start have more likely to develop these problems. Got it. And part and part of the reason for this is really interesting. The way marijuana, it actually does help. The initially, it can make people feel calm and relaxed mm-hmm. because it binds four times stronger than the than their your natural chemicals that bind to the receptors to make you feel relaxed. Well, after you and feel so super it, paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, it, it, it can do that. Mm-hmm. It's just that what happens is the brain likes to do what's easy. And right. so over time, the brain is more likely to be like, well, it can't relax without marijuana because it 
works so much better. Got it. And so that's kind of how you get into this phase of wanting to do it over and over again um, and kind of needing it to mm-hmm. be calm and relaxed. And some people do get super paranoid mm-hmm. and some people don't. I mean, it's that's what's hard about it is that it's really different for each person. And so their experience with it is different. But what we do know is if you continue to use it as a young person, it can have a lot of you know mental health problems later in your life. And does it matter if it's being smoked or eaten? Because I know like, I mean, I was hearing about the edibles showing up at the football games right under the grownups' noses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter because all okay. of that, this that I'm talking about mm-hmm. is all the brain stuff. Okay. It's not the lungs and all that. This is just how it impacts the brain. Yeah. Um. So that's really happens no matter how it gets into your system. Yeah. So little side tangent. What about yeah. vaping? So yes. I know this, and not necessarily vaping marijuana, but vaping, it, oh my Inge- God, anything. it's yeah. so lame. Like this fruity <laughs> oil that's just right. basically like, look at me blowing this giant cloud of smoke. I mean, what? Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Cause that is yeah, a thorn well, in my side. Yeah. So vaping is an interesting thing. Of course, it's like the tobacco companies are always looking for a new way to to suck in young people. That is like for sure what's happening. Like what adult wants to smoke something like candy cane flavored or cotton candy? (laughs) Like they don't like that is purely for children. Yeah. Um, So there's definitely that piece of it, like trying to suck in kids. And I think that there's what we know is definitely a lot more young people are using vaping Mm -hmm. as a way, like in general. And some of them are doing just the flavoring. Yeah. And in the flavoring, because it hasn't really been regulated very well by the FDA or at all until more recently, they're supposed to start reporting what they're putting in it. We actually don't really know exactly what's in it. Um, The tobacco companies say there's nothing bad in it, but of course- we don't, right. you know, really know what it is. And then lots of kids are putting nicotine in it, whether yeah. it's small amounts or, um, and then you can also use, you can actually put marijuana buds into a vape. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can just, they put in dabs, which are like really highly concentrated mm-hmm. THC. Mm-hmm. So like what I consistently say is all drugs, whether it's nicotine, alcohol, and or marijuana or other drugs, they all have a similar, uh, a way of impacting that reward center of the brain. And so what we know about them all is they all put you, a young person at greater risk for addiction later in life because of the way they impact the brain. So this idea about like the gateway drug is marijuana. Well, in the end, they all are, all of them can be. They're mm-hmm. all, and it's not about like, you smoke weed and now your dealer gives you something else. No, it's really about how it impacts the brain and that the brain can get rewired in ways that make it like basically prime it for addiction. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's the concern is really about how do we keep them waiting as long as possible? Or if they've already started, how do you get them to really mellow out or stop doing that until you can, you know, let the brain develop? You know, then it's like, well, the more when once they use it a certain point when they're older, their chances of having problematic use just go down dramatically. Right. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So now it gets to the hard part of how do we do that? Right. 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 Because, you know, and listeners know, you know, the I am a positive discipline trainer and I talk a lot about 
maintaining relationship and how really it's the most powerful tool we have for influencing mm-hmm. behavior is the relationship that we nurture. And um, yes, we I encourage everybody and myself to share our values over and over and over. And at the end of the day, they're running out into the world with these crazy overactive reward centers, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes maybe thinking like, oh yeah, that was that one thing that I know my mom doesn't really want me to do, but Nah, what are the like, what's the likelihood that she's going to, you know, know, or it's probably going to be fine or whatever. They're having these mm-hmm. experiences. And the beautiful thing about relationship is my teenager shares, like she lets mm-hmm. me know when, you know, most of the time I'm not an idiot. I, I'm sure that there are things that she's keeping to herself, yeah. um, but she also has, is pretty open. And so like, how do I navigate that? I mean, how do I say it's natural? Of course, your brain wants to experience and experiment and take risks without saying like, and, you know, let me know how it goes. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. With And also not saying like, I mean, yes, it's not okay, but we're not, I mean, ultimately what can, like, okay, ultimately we have no frigging control. You right. know, like it, I, I can't, say, I mean, yes, there is, there is like certain boundaries that, you know, consequences will show up, but we're not of the, the, I'm just, I'm just kind of at a loss. Yeah. I mean, I think this is really hard. This is such a hard, uh, a hard thing to navigate. Cause there's, for those parents who, who, who are sort of pre, you know, like who have younger kids who are like, God, kind I'm of sorry, I'm sure you're terrified now, but just no, relax. no, no, I'm, no, I'm not. Cause I think, Cause I think that I, cause what I, what I really think is a, is, is similar in that, like really being present and hearing what's happening mm-hmm. with your kids, being with them, having that strong relationship is incredibly important, important. Yeah. Number one, that's like number one. Yeah. But I think then having set, setting really clear expectations and talking about them in various ways. So people who, who have younger kids may bring it up in various ways, like why they think it's concerning, try to bring in some of the parts around brain development. Mm -hmm. And I think now when you're in a position where they may be experimenting or they're, you know, I think there's a way to continue to bring in the thread around why it's concerning Mm -hmm. and what are the things that they're, and really linking it to what goals do they have? What future aspirations do they have? And how might this get in the way of those things? And some of those things may be brain development stuff and really like about their health. Some of them may be things that like getting suspended from school yeah. or not. Be, those are like real, Yeah. whether you, they want them to be, or whether you think that's an appropriate response or not, it's still the reality. And so helping them sort of see some of those things, I think is really helpful in your setting up the expectations. And, and then I'd say third, it's like, I'm really, um, have become, as I've done this work, I've really become a pretty big advocate for using restorative practices and Mm -hmm. really trying to figure out how do, because with restorative practices, it's not like you're just saying like, oh, okay, you know, you did say sorry. It's really about how do we hold them accountable while also providing them support. So like in this situation, it's like, what is it for her that she's getting out of this? Mm -hmm. Like really digging in a little bit more about like, what, what were you thinking when this happened? Like what was, what was happening for you and figuring out like, 
is this experimentation? Mm-hmm. And she's like looking for the thrill. And then how do you figure out how else to get thrills, right? Mm-hmm. Without it being that. Yeah. Or is this about social connection? Like she's just seeking out, wanting to be with buddies and friends who think she's cool and she thinks are cool. And, yeah. you know, like, is it about that? Or or is there something deeper, like a, like a mental health or other issue where she's self-medicating and right. something else is going on that may meet need a different set of supports, like maybe counseling about what's happening for her. Why is this meeting this, you know, or coping skills, like building some coping skills. So I think for each kid, there's going to be a little bit of a different thing that happens when we find out a little bit more and you have the relationship. So finding out more, you may actually really be able to dig in there and figure that out. And then I think there is the piece around holding them accountable, having them hear or think about how they might be harming themselves or others around Mm -hmm. them by the, through this behavior. So for instance, I work with a school who's really trying to implement more restorative practices in regards to substance use, in regards to everything, but, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to change their policy. So it's not so punitive, but it really has this restorative piece in it. And they had a bunch of kids who got in trouble for vaping in the, in a bathroom. (sighs) Vaping. God, yeah. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, I've I seen Snapchat stories where the kids are in class. Yes. Blowing it yes. into their backpacks. I know. Like, I know. Ups, so get your head out of so your ass. So <laughs> one thing was really interesting is that these kids, like, upon, okay, so they're like, what's the big deal? I'm just, you know, yeah. so you can tell them the health effects and you can tell them all this other stuff. But in the end, for, for one of them, like a really big thing was hearing in this restorative work they were doing, he got to hear that there were a bunch of ninth graders who were scared to go to the bathroom. Mm. And that like was really struck him. Mm-hmm. And for another one, it was really about the fact that now he was going to be suspended from the sports team and couldn't play on, you know, so that really struck that person. But the restorative practice allows for that kind of thing to happen of them mm-hmm. to discover like, wow, where is this harming other people and maybe possibly themselves? Yeah. Hey, all I just wanted to remind you that I am cooking up some goodness over here for the fall. The Joyful Courage Academy is coming back. I'm going to offer the Academy in September for parents of tweens and young teens, 11 to 13 ish. This has been a big demand from the community, so I'm going to make it happen. In October, it will be all about the teens. This is such a powerful way to learn and grow on the journey, rich with content, a supportive community, and a one-on-one call with me makes the four weeks useful and empowering. Stay up to date so that you can grab your spot. Space will be limited. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter for updates, www.joyfulcourage.com slash join. And don't forget, there's a lot of powerful conversations happening over in the Live and Love with Joyful Courage and the Joyful Courage Parents of Teens groups on Facebook. Ask to join. And don't forget, buy my book. You can get it through my website or simply search for Joyful Courage on Amazon. I promise you, you will love it. All of this conversation that we're having with kids, I think that I just want to highlight, having powerful conversations requires the adult and the teenager to be in solid relationship. Yeah. Right? Definitely. And so like, I really want, I'm listening to that and I'm hearing, and I really want the listeners to tune into that. Like, because I also, you know, there's also the argument that I've heard that it's like, 
you know, enough talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> enough of this talk. It's not making a difference. But I think it that what I'm learning is I am on my life path and my children are on their own individual life paths. Mm-hmm. And I can continue to love them and provide, you know, their basic needs. And I can continue to put aside my craziness, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the other thing that gets triggered in all of yes. this is that yes. overwhelming fear, right? That mm-hmm. overwhelming, you're going to be dead in a ditch. Thank you right. to my mom, who that was always her thing, dead in a ditch. Yeah. And yeah. now it's my thing, right? That yeah. It comes really <laughs> strong. And then we move from that place of fear and, and we get punitive, we get rigid, we get inflexible. And in that process, we are actually pushing them further away from us, making it less likely that they're going to come to us. And so while I get where less talk, more action comes from, it's such a different mindset to recognize that the most powerful tool that you have is this relationship. And inside of that is these important conversations. And they are ultimately going to make the decisions that they make. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Ah. They are. And I, but, and I do think there is power. I do think though, not hiding. Um, so there's the part around the fear, like we need to hold in, you know, hold in that part of um, that's irrational fear. But I do think there are times we listen, we need to listen to our gut. Yeah. And I think that it's okay to say to them, I, you know, this, this is disappointing or this is really hard for me, or this is, I think it's okay to be very clear about, um, some of the things that they need to hear how it's impacting you right. because they still need to know that stuff. Like we don't want to be like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Cause I right, mean, right. I see lots of people, 
allow their kids to drink in the basement. That's still happening a ton. And where, you know, their kids are 16, 17, and they're like, well, at least I'm having the party here. We, we see that a lot. And I think that what I'm trying to really, we're trying to help people understand is that young people, nuance is difficult for them, right? So if you're drinking in the basement and parents let you drink in the basement, well, what's the big deal if I drink over here or if I do it over there? Like they aren't great with nuance. They're a little more black and white. And so I'm not suggesting, you know, that we get super punishment oriented. I actually don't think punishment works at all. Mm -hmm. I, but I do think really having frank conversations and figuring out what is, what are some of the contributing problems and how do we kind of try to manage those? So if, if there is an issue with texting all night, here's one thing I'll say, sleep is incredibly important. Oh my gosh. My daughter, she's like, mom, I really don't need that much sleep. I'm like, Hey, listen, it's science. Yeah. And so like, put no. this in the bucket of science as well. We know that kids use less, they use less drugs if they sleep more. Oh man. So bedtime's eight yes. o'clock now. Yeah. But I just mean, even like the texting at all hours of the night yeah, and the, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Like if that's contributing, there may need to be a couple days without the phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting it's like, you did this, therefore I punish you. It's like, hey, how is this connected to the problem? And having them be kind of natural consequences that come with part of the problem, which can be difficult to do. But I think it's- Well, it's okay to have a phone curfew, people. Oh, yeah. Like it's okay to say you can't have your phone in your room overnight. Yes. That's not punitive. That's just not. It's it's really just saying I, I, as the parent, there are a couple things that are like these lines for me. And what's interesting is that they often start to under they get the lines. Like if you establish them, mm-hmm. yes, they'll try to bump up against them. That, but eventually they often, if you've really, if you're in good relationship with them, they, they stay and then you slowly work on drawing out the boundaries further and further mm-hmm. together. And of course that is messy. Oh, it's so messy. messy. Yeah. So messy. But I think that's the whole, the whole project is about like, how do we balance nurture and structure? Like, Mm -hmm. how do we hold those two things at the same time while we're, and sometimes we get a little more structured and sometimes we have to really do work on our nurturing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, we're all struggling, you know, struggling through this together for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I said previously about the fear piece. I love that you circled back and, and yes, absolutely sharing our concerns. Um, what I was speaking into though, is sometimes fear, if we're not present and mindful fear, it can become this, it's like a freight train that takes us off into crazy land. If we're not recognizing like, oh, of, of course I am feeling concerned right now, but yeah, I do not need to give this 30 minute lecture and take everything away. And like it gets, <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I yeah. you know, that was my experience earlier this fall. It was like, I couldn't even relax my belly. Like right, I just right, couldn't right. breathe it out. And it was really interesting. And anyway, I had a little energy work done and it's all much better and I'm much calmer. Oh, that's good. And, and so I can be with my concern, right? As a parent, right. we can be with our concerns without allowing fear to 
take over and get in the way of what yes. needs to happen. That's just wanted to yeah, and become on that. Ir- like kind of irrational yeah, totally. and become like so that you can't hear even where they're coming from or what's happening for them because you're just in a space of freaking out. Yes, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah exactly. I do think that's like so and it's such an important place to be and really, and I think that's how we get to understanding them and where they're coming from. And so we can respond in ways that are helpful. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, when should we panic? I mean, I don't think we should ever panic, but that's not helpful. But when should we like really feel like, oh, this might be bigger than what this whole relationship piece is? How do we know when it's really... How do we know, Liz? I know it's a hard, it's a, there's like heart fine lines in there. Right. But I think that as a, as a way of, of, of some guidance on it mm-hmm. is uh, we talk about these sort of changes in the, what, we, what I'd say are the five P's. So it's, it's major changes in either their physical, like physical appearance, mm-hmm. personality changes, participation, like they were into this and now they don't won't do school or they won't do art or they won't do any of the things that they really loved. They spend time with a totally group of different group of people all of a sudden, or they're not, their public image is really changed considerably. So again, it's not like any of they're like bad or good. It's just that there's been major changes, um, in those five areas, I think mm-hmm. are a time to say, who maybe something is happening here that I need to really, have some guidance with a professional on like that might be a time to, and there's so many awesome people out there who are really adept at helping people assessing like, where, where are we at? Are we Mm -hmm. at the experimentation phase or are we at like, or is this really just, or is there something deeper happening that we really need to work on with them and be supportive about? Um, So I would say those are kind of the things, major things we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it's a little terrifying, Um, mostly because there's also so many, like I'm thinking about individuation, which is a really natural process, right? And and sometimes I could see individuation being like a public image shift and changing interests. And so like, it's, it's, so basically I'm saying it's messy. It's not cut and dry. It is. It's true. And I would say that it's really um, one of those things that really it's like if you're I think there are some core things, though, like they they love. I mean, it's the teenagers are all about trying on new new ways of being in the world. That's that's totally um, something that just comes with the territory. And a lot of this stuff is. But I would say that there are some things, though, like if you if they have for the first 15 years of their life been totally like I'm going to be such and such like I'm going to do I'm going to be a musician or I'm Mm going to be, you know, and all of a sudden that's of no importance. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I worked with I was worked with this family who they're they were able to save their son who was really you smoking a lot of weed Mm -hmm. and they, the dad was using like lots of punitive measures Mm -hmm. and he was not able to, that wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so he, we actually had this, we did like, we called them parent meetups and we had this parent meetup. And so then he actually came back like a, like a year later to, to talk to me about it and just said, you know, I, I found myself, I, I actually went back to him and said, listen, here's what I'm, 
going to back to the relationship and just saying, I'm so concerned because you used to love music and want to be a musician. And now I never see you play anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, you don't even, it's nothing you're even interested in. And I'm so concerned because of this and how you used to be with your friends and how you used to be really into your sister and help her out. And now you're not even Mm -hmm. like you don't, that concerns me and was able to like sort of bring it back down to the Mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. And his son was like, really, it it struck him yeah, because it was such a turn of events. And so he was able to really hear that in a different way. And I think that that's the conversation having with them is like, what's, what's happening for you? And, and how do we help them through that change? And I think it's okay to change all those things, your physical change, personality, participation. Mm-hmm. It's just if it's all happening at once, yeah. drugs and alcohol may be impacting that, you know, yeah. and may have, and it may be worth just having a conversation with somebody who can help guide through like, what can we do about this? And actually there's great online resources. There's a, um, this, tw- there's a bunch of them. So there's drugfree.org is great. Um, and they have awesome parent stuff in there. There's also a, um, this 20 minute guide it's called, and it's really about helping parents use motivational interviewing. So it's essentially saying to your kids, like, Hey, what do you want in your life? And like trying to use motivational interviewing to help them identify how whatever their use is might be problematic or get in the way of that. Yeah. So is that on the drugfree.org? No, it's separate. It's, it's, um, called the 20 minute guide.com. Okay. Okay. And that one's great too. So anyway, there's a lot of great resources out there. And I think that, um, and then there's like locally in each community, you know, and school social workers are awesome resources. Yeah. You know, they're really great resources for helping with this kind of navigating some of this difficult, this difficult stuff. Yeah. And I think that for me, what I've noticed, and I, I think I've mentioned this is, you know, I think it's really important for all of us to have those, um, those friendships, like the parents, having friendships where you can be really honest about what's going on with your kids. And I've realized too, like I need to pick from, I know I have a lot of friends and not all of them are the ones that I want to go to. I want to go to the ones who aren't going to say, oh yeah, wow, we haven't, you know, yeah, we haven't dealt with any of that. Like that makes me want to kill people. Yeah. But when I, I have my little handful that I know I could shoot a text to them and they're going to respond with, yep. This is where, you know, like there's camaraderie in navigating this really quasi normal, natural period of time where kids are doing stupid things. Yeah. So that's been really powerful for me too on my journey and, um, and really recognizing who those people are. Yeah. And I was actually just going to say finding other people in your life to Mm -hmm. help guide through move through this period, whether it's like people like you're saying people are totally on the same page or whether it's like the, the parents of your friends, your kids, Mm -hmm. friends, like trying to figure out how to create relationships with them or, or just finding other people because there's so much stigma around this. And so people tend to retreat when problems happen and like, don't reach out. And that's, that's when things get really difficult for everybody. And like the more, because everybody is dealing with whether it's easy right now or not, everybody's dealing with somebody in their house who's really changing significantly and a Mm -hmm. lot's happening. And Mm -hmm. so 
how do we find other people in our lives that can help us just support us through this really difficult that what can be difficult what can be really amazing too you mm-hmm. know so it's like trying to get psyched about the amazing stuff because they are they can man they're they're learning new things every day. They're bringing home new stuff. They're challenging us in ways, keeping us lifelong learners. There's amazing things about it. But it can be really hard, too, to navigate and emotionally taxing on a relate, you know, your yeah. spouse relationship and, you know, can be yeah. difficult. And you're not alone. Like, that's what I'm yeah. hearing you say, too. It's It's easy to feel isolated and, oh, my gosh, it's just my family. But start to reach out and you'll find that. You are not alone on this journey and um, and there are resources. Thank you. I'm going to make sure those websites are in the show notes. Yeah. So is there anything else that you can share? Any final thoughts for listeners just around? And I'm really appreciating, Liz, also that you are highlighting that it is it is a really amazing period of time. Like I'm having a great time, even as some of it is not so great. Um, yeah, I, it is. It's fun. It's funny. It's like yeah. flashback after flashback. And that's totally, well, this is a whole nother tangent, <laughs> but it's like, I was no angel. Right. So, right. you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. There's a part of you that could appreciate that of <laughs> wanting to do and be your own thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess my last thoughts would be to say too, that, you know, it's, there's so much, you know, there can be all this uncertainty and change. And I just, and that all we know that like all of us have incredibly flexible and learning brains. And mm-hmm. so the bad stuff that happens, we can all be resilient from that, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. there's resilience always. And always. so in the midst of stuff that feels horrible and awful and how is this ever, you know, the brain and the, and we, and people are really resilient and that we can grow and change and the brain does develop and grow and change. And, and so that any, all the bad stuff can be, we can, we can be flexible and change and heal. Yeah. So I think that as people, you know, we just have to kind of move through this time being, as open and breathing through it as we can. Yes, meditate, and, everyone. Yes, and really <laughs> daily ho- and, and <laughs> find support. Yeah, truly, I can't say enough of how many parents I've talked to who feel alone and lonely in this, mm-hmm. and that finding others is really has been incredibly important for them. Well, and, and so my final question that I always end with is in the context, well, for you, it's in the context of parenting teens, what does joyful courage mean to you? I think for me, it means, you know, trying to see all those amazing things that are happening mm-hmm. as you move through adolescence, you know, all the ways that we're learning new things, bringing, they're bringing new ideas and new things to, into our lives, keeping us on our toes and also it means having the courage to stick with our values and listening to our instincts. Yeah. Thank you. Where can listeners find you and follow your work? Um, well, I'm actually working on a web page. It's coming soon. It will be birchlanestrategies.com. And they can also find me on LinkedIn right now and Liz Blackwell Moore. Okay. I will put links to both of those, even and with a little parentheses under construction on your yeah. website, but I'll make sure all that's in the show notes. And thank you so much, Liz, for coming on. This was super helpful and fun. And even though it's scary, it's important. Got to keep talking about it. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening. I'm so honored to serve you each and every week. I love to hear what you think about the show. A great place to share your thoughts is iTunes. Your review will help others find the show and take in the goodness. And you never know, I may read your review live on the podcast. Big thank you to my team, Tay, Allison, and Chris Mann from Podshaper. So grateful for the ways you all support me and the work of Joyful Courage. Until next week, bring your attention to your breath, write it into your body, find the balcony seat, and trust that everyone is going to be okay. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.